Okay, let's do the Word of God. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was tempted to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, through your word proclaimed, may we encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now Genesis 3 is the Judeo-Christian origin story of what went wrong with the world. It's actually more important in Christianity than it is in Judaism. Um, but there is an alternative position, a, mon- a minority report, if you would, that looks at the Adam and Eve story a little different than we traditionally translate it. Okay, this alternative or minority report shows up in some of the Gnostic communities. Okay, that is where Christians groups that arose during the second, third century. And they actually see what Adam and Eve did as a good thing. That it is important that we receive enlightenment, right? As a matter of fact, they kind of equivocate the Adam and Eve story to Prometheus, the Prometheus story in Greek mythology. Okay, Just like Prometheus stole fire from the gods, Adam and Eve were doing a good thing for the human race. Now, I'm not sure that the history of of humanity as a whole, our individual histories, demonstrate that this freedom we had, or God, from knowing right from wrong, I'm not sure history demonstrates that we've used that freedom very well. Matter of fact, I would say that the contrary is true, right? For everything that we have been enlightened about, you may come up with three or four ways that we've used this power to do great damage, either to other people or to ourselves or to whole civilizations. Um, I had a friend from high school, um, and her brother had a motorcycle. Now, I actually never had a motorcycle. I liked driving. I liked riding trail bikes. But if my success at driving a trail bike was as good as a motorcycle, I would not be here today. Okay? I spent a lot of time, you know, a few when I would run a trail bike, I, I didn't do so well. And so I had too many, de- I didn't have any money, and then I had too many dependents, so I never got around to getting the motorcycle. Okay? But my friend's brother knew how to ride a motorcycle, mo- ride, rode motorcycles before he probably was supposed to. You know, was very comfortable on them, always owned one. But then he saved his money and got a big Harley. 
and it was more motorcycle than he could handle. And, and he died a week after getting the motorcycle, not because he was hit from by somebody else, but because he just couldn't handle the bike going into a turn. Okay? And what the problem wasn't was that he didn't know how to drive. The problem was that the bike was more than he could handle. This idea that you will be like God sounds like a good, a good, good proposition, right? That sounds like a good thing to be, like God. Matter of fact, a lot of the Christian faith and Christian piety is about becoming more like God, right? But what's being offered in Genesis 3 is very different than what's offered in post-baptismal grace. While I was working on my doctoral work, I did a redevelopment project in Hillsboro. It was a quirky church. It was a fun, interesting bunch of people. And there was a young guy in the church with a really thick Brooklyn accent. Okay, I almost wish that I could have like the notes under him, you know, like when you're watching a foreign film. <laughs> it would have been really helpful if there was just a little TV under him when he spoke, because I, I missed half of what he said. But for some reason, he grew up in Brooklyn, but he was a huge New Orleans Saints fan. And this was right after the New Orleans Saints had been the New Orleans Aints. You know, they, they lost to those games. They were pretty good. And one day he came up to me after church. He goes, next week... The saints are in Philly. You're coming with me. So make sure the sermon isn't long. <laughs> so I made sure the sermon wasn't long. We jumped in the car. We drive down. I think it was the old vet. I think, yeah, it was the vet. And uh, <laughs> which was a really awful place to watch anything. But at any rate, it was fun. It was a fun place. So we show up. I said, where are our seats? He goes, I don't know. And he pulled out a wad of cash. But trust me, we're going to get good ones, brother. <laughs> so, you know, we came up to a scalper, and the scalper goes, I want your best seats. And this guy was so excited to take his money. <laughs> and he says, you're going to be on the front row. And we're so excited. And I don't know if any of you remember the old vet. Okay. But we come in, and we're going down. It's like at the 50-yard line. Or, you know, maybe not 50, but like the 30 or 40. It was really in the middle of the field. We're heading down. You know, we're getting closer and closer. He goes, we're on the front row. If you remember the vet, the front row was right behind the team. Okay? And the New Orleans Saints were really big people. <laughs> and you couldn't see the game. <laughs> the trouble about wanting to be God is we don't have the best view. We don't have the right perspective to be God. We can't see the whole field. You know, it's it's sad when we make bad choices, you know, that we know or know is bad. But how many times have you been well intentioned, thinking you were right and being able to justify what you did, but the consequences, the unintended consequences, hurt other people, or hurt yourself? Now, there's some people who never see that. But a person who has any kind of self-awareness realizes, I've made what I thought was the right decision for the right reasons, and it turned out very badly. Why? Because we don't have the big picture. Lent is a great time to do some self-reflection. And the temptations that Jesus faced are, these, these are this is a very intentionally constructed passage. In other words, the temptations that Jesus faced are meant to be seen as the broad category 
of all the temptations we face. You could almost put every possible thing that you're tempted to, to look at under these three categories. Um, do you know the expression angels share and devils cut? Okay, it's, it's, it's from distilling liquor, okay? I think originally it was uh, from, I think the original version of it is in Italian or Latin uh, from people who make grappa. I don't necessarily encourage you to try grappa if you haven't before. <laughs> it's an unforgiving drink right, in a lot of ways. But anyway, the idea is the angel share is what is what evaporates, right? Can't see it. But the devil gets his share by what's absorbed into the cask. Okay. And I think it's important. You know, whatever you make of the concept of devil, there's a sense the devil finds a way to get the devil's due. But I also think the easiest job in the universe would be the devil. Because what's the devil's job? Is to get people to behave badly. Okay. I think that's... <laughs> I think you know the devil probably spends most of his time, you know, in the keys or somewhere because you know you don't have to work too hard to get people to behave badly, right? And so there's a sense where this whole the devil represents what gets the very thing that's absorbed in our system, right? That very propensity that's within us, okay, to do what's wrong. Well, first humanity, the first temptation is humanity shall not live by bread alone. Now. Jesus has spent 40 days in the wilderness. He's hungry. Matter of fact, the word is famished. My, my translation was famished. He's more than hungry. He's, he's starving. All right? And no one would blame him, I don't think, if he, you know, just a little mojo, a little magic, because there are no convenience stores in the Judean wilderness. Okay? So the fact that he's coming out of the Judean wilderness doesn't mean, oh, okay, I'll just stop in Wawa on my way home, okay? And so he gets tempted to turn stones to bread. And he responds with one of the most famous quotes, man shall not live by bread alone. In many ways, we're addressing here the problem of the material world. Okay. John Locke one time said, what worries you masters you. And whether it's part of our survival instinct or how we've been enculturated, we spend a lot of time worrying about what we're going to eat, how we're going to take care of our shelter, what we're going to wear, right? Okay. When was the last time any of you faced starvation? When was the last time you were in jeopardy of either freezing to death because you didn't have enough to wear or a place to stay, or you're going to be scorched by the sun because you didn't have proper clothing. The truth of the matter is, now there are, trust me, there are people right now starving to death and freezing to death in northern Syria. Okay. All right, so, but we're not. But how much anxiety do we have around, you know, what are we going to do? Am I going to be okay? There is no sacred economic theory, okay? There's no inherent Christian theory or philosophy. There is no inherent economic system that reflects the Christian values, okay? Almost every major economic or political theory in the West has some antecedent in Christianity, okay? But every one of them, at heart, is materialistic as well. The philosophical foundation of Marxism is materialistic. The end goal of capitalism is materialism. And both of them, Jesus says, too, you shall not live 
by the material world alone. The material world is good, it's just not ultimate. And see, that's part of what's interesting about us, okay? Why do we drink too much? Why do we eat too much? Why do we accumulate too much? Why do we, why do we spend so much time doing things, one, that hurt us, and number two, we can't take with us? Because we exchange short-run comforts. We exchange short opportunities to try to ease our anxiety as opposed to taking long-term eternal benefits from what's really important. One of my, again, I, I quote this a lot, but my favorite C.S. Lewis writing is a little essay called The Weight of Glory. And sometimes Christianity, and particularly kind of certain groups of Christians, think the problem is we have to control behavior. Okay. I, I, remember, uh, I remember going to Bible concentration camp um, when I was a kid. <laughs> and um, I was about 14, uh, 14 or 15. The guy beside me was a couple years older, and we got the sex talk. Premarital sex talk. This is very conservative. And the guy next to me at the end of it, he elbows me, he goes, Man, it must be really good if they're working this hard to keep us from it. (laughs) I don't don't think that's what they were trying to do. But Lewis, Lewis says this It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Okay. God's response, I think, is totally different than the religious response. We are half hearted creatures fully about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When was the last time you watched a comedy the whole way through and did not laugh? I mean... (laughs) Okay, how many? There's just a lot of stuff that says it's funny, but it's not funny. How many times we just ate something that was empty calories that we didn't even like what it tasted like? You see, I think it is true. The trouble that Jesus is saying the material world isn't bad; it's good. God created the world; it's good. It's just not ultimate. It's just not ultimate. And then he takes, the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself off. And the temptation there is there was an expectation, kind of a legend, at the time of Jesus that the Messiah would come descending from the temple. So the devil's saying, why waste all the time trying to convince these people? They're not going to listen to you anyway. Okay. Just do the spectacular thing. Give the crowd what they want. Give the people what they want. And they will come. I saw someone the other day post something, and they say, I dare you in the name of Jesus to show me any contribution or any contradiction in the Bible. That's what they said. I dare you. Okay? All right, because it was Lent, I did not respond. (laughs) All right. And, and the fact is, the reason probably no one, if, if the reason that no one could give him a contradiction is because people don't know the Bible. Okay. The, the issue of the faith truth of the Bible isn't whether or not there are contradictions. I mean, there are all kinds of different positions on different things in the Bible. That's not the point of the Bible. And what's really kind of sad about this person 
and, and he's not the only person, he's just an extreme version, is that we really set up our faith to be a paper tiger sometimes. We're so insecure in our faith that we create all these artificial pump, pump, you know, props. You know, we dig the hole deeper into ignorance. And so, or we set ourselves up to lose our faith because we believed in things that weren't worthy to be believed in. Right? For instance, science is not the enemy of faith. That's such an artificial construct that's been built. I mean, it's part of the whole, you know, kind of anti-intellectual state of our country. Okay? We should listen to scientists. We should listen to doctors. That's a good thing. All right? They're not God, but they know more than we do. Okay? But the temptation here is to take the shortcut, to appeal to people's expectation. And really what's behind this sin of presumption is that we put our identity in the hands of other people. We talked a little bit about this the other week in youth group. I mean, what, you know... Uh, I mean, what a tough time middle school is, right? Because just, you know, people can you can destroy you. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and this, this girl, her daughter, her friends have decided that they're not going to talk to her. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's like being put on a penal colony, right? <laughs> you know, all right? That's like being put on a float on a boat alone in the ocean, right? So there's a sense where this idea of, of status is is something that you know we are really early on you know enculturated about and has so much power over us. Now you may say I don't care what other people think or where what they think of me. Do, is that really true? What about that one guy in the neighborhood who really cuts his grass well? It makes all your yards look bad. <laughs> now apparently at Willow Grove. All five of those guys are in my church over there. Right? Like I saw everybody's wife looking at them, hitting them in the elbow. So, so, so blame those folks. They, they're the ones. They're the guys. Each of their neighborhoods ruined because of them, right? Okay. Or, for instance, okay, I'm, I don't know. It's probably online. I think it was online. I'm reading something, and suddenly I keep getting this is uh, advertisement of I need to to buy a mask, and not just any mask. This is a super duper mask. And it must be true because it's on the internet. And, um, <laughs> and it tells me that this mask will protect me from every possible disease. Mm-hmm. Even there's a little animation graphic, okay, where these little sparkling things get caught in my mask. All right? Now, we've been told that the masks don't help us with this disease, right? We've been told that. Okay. All right, but you show up at the mall and everybody, well, maybe you don't go to the mall. That's maybe a good reason. But you show up and everybody around you has a mask and go, I need one of these masks. Our whole economy is built on them appealing to you that you need something that you really need. And your neighbors has it. And so that's part of this idea of saying no to the fact is I do not need other people to tell me my sense of worth. Jesus says, I don't need other people to tell me who I am. I know who I am in God. No. Whether you're in middle school or retired, if you can find your identity in God, you can truly be free. And then finally, the temptation to power. Okay, um, I was driving to, to Willow Grove this morning, and I was in my lane. I was in the lane I was supposed to be in. 
I was driving dangerously near the speed limit as well, all right? So I was doing everything I was supposed to do. There was a big truck beside me. The truck decided that it wanted my lane. But they had no right to my lane. I got out of the way. Now, I don't know if the truck driver was an innocent, you know, didn't see me. Okay, so I, was, I would have been an accidental victim of power. Maybe the person is a sociopath and said, oh, I'm going to destroy this wonderful car and this person in it. Or they may not like preachers. I bet you he's a preacher. I'm going to destroy him. I don't know. Okay. We didn't have a chance to talk. Um, I got out of the way. You know, in a way, he didn't even seem sorry when he sped by me. I waved at him. Um, God bless you. Go in peace. But you know, isn't that that's the history of the world, right? There are Syrian children starving to death and freezing to death because all the powers around them, Assad, the Russians, the Turks. They're just killed, you know, man. They're on the wrong side. Why did most of our people come here? The ones who weren't forced to come here. <laughs> Slaves, right? Okay. That's a different story. That's even, that's even worse, right? Uh, we were fleeing something. I, I was like, when you go to these kind of like high-class things that they're proud that they were the first people over here. Oh, you were the first group of criminals. Okay. <laughs> Right? Or you're the first people that kicked out of your country. Or the first people that were fleeing for their lives, right? Because something more powerful had said, you don't belong here anymore. And what did we do? We came over here, even though we were weaker, but we had better guns than the people that were already here. All right? Founded on forced slavery and the destruction of the native people. Power, the misuse of power, history of the world is abuse of power. Starts in the playground, right? All of us have been victims of the abuse of power, either from a boss, a teacher, somebody you should have known better, families, okay, a group of friends. And sometimes the victimization is horrendous. It scars us for life. But sometimes it's so subtle we don't even know it happens, right? I've, been, I've talked to 70-year-old people who are still trying to please a parent that's been dead for 40 years. Because that person, that parent said something horrible to them or made them feel like they didn't deserve love or affection. And so... The misuse of power, the abuse of power, that's not pretend. That's not pretend that our society is not building. Okay. At the beginning, we were more nervous about power, right? Okay. John Locke, okay, the Locke, our founding fathers didn't trust anybody. They probably shouldn't have trusted themselves as much as they did. But nonetheless, our whole government was built on a Lockean system where you don't trust each other because power is abusive. That's the old check and balances, right? 
Okay. Locke may not have been a Christian, but he believed in original sin. The inherent corruption and corrupting power, uh, force of power. What's really remarkable here is that the one person who actually could and should use power demonstrates his strength in renunciation. Nobody, no entity, deserves us to bow the knee other than God. Nothing else deserves that kind of allegiance, yet we give it to it all the time. We give allegiance to all kinds of ideas. We give allegiance to the power of hate within our hearts or fear. Probably fear comes before hate, right? Fear turns to anger to hate. And Jesus is saying, Thou shalt only worship God. Only God gets to be God. Which brings us back around to Genesis 1. The problem is not that humans were given everything. You just, we just weren't supposed to act like God because we can't handle that. In Lent, the sacrament reminds us that power was demonstrated in sacrifice. Love triumphs evil, even though evil seems to win. But to find yourself, you need to lose yourself. That God himself demonstrates not power in force, but in surrender. Albert Einstein once said, the attempt to combine wisdom and power has only rarely been successful and then only for a short while. But in the person of Christ, we have the wisdom and power of God given to us. Come and eat. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us stand again and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed.